truly is God. Psalm 46 will be our theme next week when it talks about that the earth may shake and the mountains may fall into the heart of the sea, but God is not shaken. And then we'll look at living as if God is for you. You know, in our world today, as Christians, we can woe is me and pity party all day long and figure, well, everybody's against us, including God. But what if God actually is for you? And the Scripture tells us if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, you say, well, i got a list of people that are against me. Well, all right. But truly, the rhetorical statement is if God is for us, then who does it matter who's against us? Well, look at that. And we'll also look in the Psalms to live as if God is better. There's a psalm that says, Your love, Lord, your loving kindness is better than life. I wonder how many of us live as if that's true. And then we'll look at living as if God is aware. (laughs) Sometimes it seems as if, well, God must not be paying attention. Honestly, I I think when our world seems to be shaken, and and I think I say that our world, you know, those of us who are believers in Jesus, when our world seems to be shaken, whether it's through personal or national events, we can lose sight of all those truths. I don't want to convince you in this series to live as if sort of you're pretending all these things are true. You know, we're really good at that. You know, we live as if everything's okay. How are you doing this morning? You got that question at least 15 times already. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you today? And then we throw in brother, you know, just to really lay it on there. I'm good, brother. How are you? As if that's really more believable. You know, hey, tell me, tell me how things are going. And you're like, oh, it's great. Never been better. It's garbage, isn't it? Garbage. You know, we, we're really good at, at pretending that, well, I'll just live as if that didn't just happen, whatever that was. And maybe it really didn't happen, so I won't have to deal. I'll just live as if it didn't. And all of that is so naive. You know, we're good at living as if we're pretending things aren't really true. And sometimes, sometimes, maybe we live as if these truths that we find in the Scripture aren't really true. We, we live as if we're the people of God, believing in Him, and yet we live as if we're just on our own, just trying to figure it out and make it through life. We begin to live and to think as if God is not there, as if He's no longer God, as if He's maybe against us, as if He's not aware of what's happening in our lives. And so this series will cover several different Psalms. It'll all be based on the book of Psalms. And I hope that it will show us It will help us to see and to do the exact opposite of those things. So let me just say that even though I am extremely saddened, I'm disappointed to see when ungodliness and immorality are championed in our country. I'm I'm saddened. But if it's okay with you, I'm going to keep on preaching as if God is there. I'm going to keep on preaching as if He is God, as if He is for us, as if He is better as if he is aware. And so if we can make that deal moving forward, I'll keep preaching as if all the stuff about God is still true, because I believe it is. I'm going to keep on preaching as if God is there, if he is God, as if he is God, as if, he's, if his, as if he is better, as if he is aware, because I believe he was, he is, and he always will be. So that's going to be the deal moving forward. I'll cover everything that we need to cover, and I'm not going to dodge any topics. You don't have to worry about that. 
I'm going to stick to what the Bible says, and I'm not going to waver from that. I don't know what will happen when I do that, but I'm going to stick to it. That's the only thing I know to do, because God is there, and He is God, and He is for us, and He is better, and He is aware, and I'm accountable to Him. And so you can rest assured that's where we'll be. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 42. I ain't mad at you, by the way. (laughs) Might be serious, but I ain't mad at you. Psalm chapter 42. Let me give you a little bit of background. We're going to look actually at two psalms. Now, if you've got your little your, your handout, I'm going to kind of work off of that today because I, there's, so, there's two different psalms. I'm going to try to put all this on the screen and actually I'm going to kind of bounce around. So if you've got the handout, you can follow along there. If you've got a, a copy of the Bible with you, by all means, turn there. Uh, you can scan the code if you want. It'll pull up the scripture for you today. But two different psalms today, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, they actually seem to go together as if they were originally one unit and they've been broken apart, uh, you know, in our English Bibles over time. But it seems as if maybe they were written to go together. Uh, The the theme is the same. It almost seems to be one complete thought from the beginning of of chapter 42 to the end of chapter 43. And essentially what's going on is you have some really tough times for the author. The author is is said to be one of the sons of Korah who were the music leaders in the temple. And the way he talks in this these two psalms is if he's not anymore around the temple. He's he's somewhere else. Maybe he's distant physically. Some of what I researched this week said well maybe this was one of the guys who was exiled with the Jewish people and he can't be in the temple for worship anymore and so so he's, he's far away from what he remembers about God, from the things of God. He's far away maybe even from, from the people of God or from his opportunity to gather with the people of God for worship, and it's killing him. Things have changed for him. <clears throat> his world has been turned upside down completely. And you'll see here the ups and downs of his thought and his emotions. He doesn't know what to do. And so as I said, maybe this is very appropriate for many of us today. As we live in a world in which we don't really know what to do. And I don't know if you're like that, but if you're not, then maybe you're not normal. Because sometimes I don't know what to do. And I hope I'm a little bit normal, at least. Sometimes I don't know what to do. Things happen, and my world gets turned upside down, and I start freaking out, to be honest with you. My wife can tell you. She actually, she's a calm one of the two of us. I start freaking out, and she just, you know, comes alongside. We'll get through it. It'll be all right. A lot of different things I freak out about. Maybe you're that way. This is a guy this morning, in Psalm 42 and 43, he's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. He's losing his mind, and it's killing him. Now, let's take a look real quick at how things are going for him, all right? So I'm not going to go verse by verse in order here. We're going to cover all the verses, but I'm going to, I'm going to show you and build a case for here's how he's doing. Here's what he suggests that he should do. He tells, he talks to himself. If you're a talker to yourself, you'll love the Psalms. They talk to themselves all the time. It's great. You'll know you're not crazy, or at least you join a long line of historical people who have been crazy. Psalm chapter 42, look at verse 2, the second part of verse 2, okay? Here's his question from the very beginning. When can I come and appear before God? What he's saying there is, when can I enter into the presence of God? Really, he's asking, when can I see God's face? When is God going to show up? When can I see him? Because right now I can't can't see him. He seems to be absent. He seems to have moved off the scene. He's disappeared. He's checked out. He's on some kind of vacation he's not coming back from. It appears to the author of the psalm here that God is no longer there. 
When can I see God again? Maybe you've asked the same questions. I need to know He's there. You get the emotion here. The psalmist says, when can I, when can I see the face of God? I need to know He's there. I've got some things I need to talk with Him about. I need somebody who can handle these things, and there's so much that I don't understand, and God, in the midst of all this, seems so distant. The psalmist makes it very clear he's struggling with it. Verse 3, if you look at that, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. I get up in the morning, and I cry. Midday, I cry. In the evening, I cry. I'm torn up all day long. It's just my routine. In fact, it seems to be the only routine that I have. The only thing that's regular in my life is the fact that I'm torn up inside. Just as regular and natural as eating is, that's how he says his depression consumes him. Second part of verse 3. While all day long people say to me, Where is your God? They taunt him. Obviously, it seems to indicate he's maybe a long way from home on enemy territory. And he's getting a hard time for his faith in the Lord. You ever feel that way? They ask him, where is your God? This God you claim to believe in. Why won't he do something? If he's so real and so powerful, where's he at? Why won't he do something? He's not there. You hear the taunts. You hear the trash talking from those who don't believe in Yahweh God. And they say, look, man, you're believing a lie. It's a myth. God's not there. Verse 5 says this. He asks the, the questions for the first time. He'll ask them three times. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Then look at the beginning of verse 6. I am deeply depressed. It's almost as if he's just saying, oh, why do I feel this way? What's going on? I don't even understand why I'm so depressed and why there's so much turmoil. Why do I feel like this? Why does it feel like the tide is always going out in my life? Like I'm dissolving, melting away, dwindling down to nothing. That's what those words mean. Why is everything that talks about the turmoil, why is everything exploding inside of me? Why is it making so much noise and why am I so restless? What's the real cause? Well, I think it goes back to the first question that he asked. When can I see God? I think he's so torn up. I think he's so depressed. I think he's got so much going on inside of him because he hasn't seen God in a while. And things seem to be going against the people of God. And he is freaking out. And he doesn't know what to do. Verse 9, he goes on. I will say to God, my rock, look at this. You think you can't be honest with God? Read the Bible. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Now, when he says, God, why have you forgotten me? It's not, God, do you still know that I'm here? Hey, you know, here I am, God. Don't forget who I am. The word forget there literally means, God, why haven't you done something? God, obviously, you don't care. I mean, you would have done something by now, Lord. If you actually cared about what's going on, if you knew what was happening and you cared, God, you would do something. You prayed those prayers? Oh, no, 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 no. Not me. Not me. Sure you have. You've thought it at least. You've wanted to pray those prayers. You think, well, God will strike me dead if I pray that. I don't, I don't know what happened to this author, but he at least got to finish the psalm. God didn't kill him in the middle of writing it. 
I mean, you can be honest with the Lord. I get that from this psalm. God has not acted on my behalf. He's done nothing. He hasn't come to remedy this situation. God, why have you forgotten me? Verse 10, my adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me again, where is your God? Here it is again. He's getting it from everywhere all the time. He's in depression mode inside and he's ridiculed on the outside and it's grinding against him, crushing him, breaking him into pieces. In verse 11, same question again. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? It won't leave him alone. He doesn't quite understand all that's happening and he's not sure what to do about it and he doesn't know if it's going to end or get any better at all. And then if you look at chapter 43 as it continues, verse 2, Why, Lord, have you rejected me? (laughs) Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Not only does he feel like God's not doing anything, but he doesn't, it feels like God doesn't want to do anything, that God has thrown him aside. And then he asks again in verse 5 of chapter 43, Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? The third time he's asked that. In two short chapters. It's the theme of his life. God, why, why am I so depressed? Why is there such turmoil? God, where are you? He's looking for answers. He's looking for a way through and out of where he is. Some kind of understanding of his situation. And it's no wonder then, if you turn back to chapter 42, verses 1 and 2, it's no wonder that he writes the song that we just sang. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for the living God. Makes a little sense, doesn't it? Why he would say, God, I'm just dried up. I'm parched. I'm dying of thirst. I need to experience you. I need to see you. I need you to do something on my behalf. My soul, my entire being, my core, all that's within me, I'm desperate for something of God, for God Himself. I feel like I've been running in the desert. I'm so thirsty. I'm dry. I'm depressed. Nothing's working. Nothing's going my way, He says. And there are so many who felt that way. So many. And maybe it was just this week for you. Maybe the Supreme Court decision has sent you just spiraling. Maybe you have something going on in your personal life and it's just overwhelming and never ending. And your tears are flowing day and night when nobody's watching. It's unending depression and sorrow, or at least it attacks you maybe when you least expect it and you think, what's going on? You feel as if God has checked out, as if... He's only there to make life miserable for you if He even is there. And here you are this morning looking for answers to the questions that you keep asking over and over and over again. What's the answer? I'm proud to tell you the psalm doesn't just include the questions. But it points us in a direction where we can find the answers. Now, there are some psalms, I'll just tell you, that are just as real as they can be, and they just leave with questions. (laughs) And I I find that, honestly, a little comforting. Because there are some times, if you're normal, then probably all you can pray is just questions. Why? What's going on? But this psalm, these two psalms together, a little different. 
They help point us towards some answers. Towards some answers that we so desperately need, and I would imagine that many of us came here this morning looking for and trying to find. How can you live as if God is there when it doesn't feel like He's there? How can you live as if God is there when it doesn't feel like God is there? Let me give you three things from this psalm. There's no no magic formula, just three things that maybe you can begin this morning to, to consider, to have God work on you and put into practice. First of all, remember where you've seen Him before. How do you live as if God is there when it feels like He's not there? Look back at verse 4 of chapter 42. He's built up to this. My tears have been my food. He says, all day and all night, and my enemies are taunting me, and everybody seems to be against me. Where is God? And he says, I remember this. Or some versions say, these things I remember. These things I remember as I pour out my heart. Here's what he's going to remember. Now let me, let me pause for a second and give you a little indication of what that word remember means. It's not just some long-lost, fond memory. You know, boy, i tell you a story about way back when. Memory was very important in the Old Testament. There are several times when God told the people to remember, to recall, to think about. And it's never just about having in mind some set of feelings or, or stories or, some, or facts or something like that. It was always a call to action. Remember and do something. Remember what happened and do something as a result. Remember God's commands, the scripture would tell them, and keep them. (laughs) Obey his commands. Remember God's actions and praise him for them. Remember God's grace and trust him as a result. So, remembering God, when he says, I remember, it meant that he would ground his life in God himself and then respond accordingly in every situation. The opposite would be to forget God and to live as if He's not there. And He says, here's what I remember. Look at verse 4. How I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He says, I remember. I look back and I remember where I saw and I experienced God Himself. He thinks of times of worship with the rest of the Israelites in the temple. You know, we, we kind of sometimes think that maybe Old Testament worship was just boring. They did a lot of rituals, and they burned some incense, and they did some kind of weird things, and they dressed up fancy, and they, all of that, and then they, you know, that was it. This guy talks about it as if it were a celebration. As if it were the celebration of God's presence among the people, and guess what? It was. Shame on us for gathering together, not celebrating God. As Christians, we got churches all across the country that get together and then we treat God as if He's the most boring, uneventful being in the universe. You kidding me? He says, man, I miss going to church. I miss being with the people of God. That's what excited me. That's where I met with God. You realize you can meet with God anywhere? I get that. You can meet with God anywhere, and I hope you do, anywhere and everywhere all day long. But there is something about when two or three are gathered and God is in their midst that is exciting and celebratory and that's what he missed. There's part of me that quite honestly, that when things go sour, all I want to do is go to church. And you say, well, good, you get paid to be here, so I'm glad you want... (laughs) 
I mean that sincerely. There's something about being with the people of God. Folks, don't miss this. And I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here. I know that. But when, listen, when life happens and you begin to feel isolated, let that, let that feeling drive you toward wanting to be with the people of God. Are we perfect? No. Are we great representations of Jesus Christ? No. But do we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that can resonate with the Holy Spirit inside of you and somehow together we can worship God? Absolutely. That's what he misses. It's joyful. It's pleasant. It's something exciting. And he brings to mind, he says, I remember those times when I would go in with everybody and we'd celebrate what God had done. I wonder this morning if it would help you. If you say, you know what, I have not seen God in a while. I mean, I'm just wondering the same things this guy seems to be wondering. Where is God? You know, I, 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 I don't get it. Think back with me, if you would. Remember when you've seen him before. One of the first times that I, I remember God really showing up in my life was something kind of odd, but, but impactful. I remember getting off the bus when I was a first grader. And the bus had pulled up here, and my house was over here, so I had to cross out in front. It was snowing, and there was snow on the ground, and I, I was, I guess, six years old. And I lived on a street with some, what we used to call hoodlums, who lived up the street. You know what I'm saying? And so they were kind of the folks, you just let them stay up on their side of the street, and you stay on your side of the street. So One of them didn't stop for the bus, as I was crossing. And all I remember as I was about literally to step into where it was traveling was getting hit on the side of the head with a snowball. Stopped me in my tracks. There it went as my folks watched. Now, I couldn't say to you in that moment that I got down on my knees and said, hey, thank God. You know, I, I, all I thought was, who hit me with a snowball? You know what? But I look back on that. And I say, God, I'm not going to be superstitious. And God, I'm not going to look for an angel or a demon behind every bush. But God, thank you for saving my life. And then a couple of years later, I remember sitting on the edge of my bed in that same home that I was walking to that day. And I remember being broken as an eight-year-old kid. Not because of all the things that I had done. Because of who I was. I was a sinner. And I remember that moment. Just praying, God changed me. And he showed up. And I remember times later going to camp as a kid. Being a part of my youth group when I was a teenager. Worshiping the Lord together with other believers. Being involved with the BSU at Murray State. The births of all four of my children. My wedding day. All of those things. And I remember God showed up. And I don't know for you. But there are a lot of times that I just need to remember that I've seen Him before. When it's dry. Just need to remember, God, I've seen you before. And maybe it's helpful for you. 
to make a timeline. Say, God, I saw you here. And 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 God, maybe it's been a while, but I remember. And God, I want to trust you that I've seen you before. Maybe you say, you know, I'm not sure I can make a timeline. Then I just tell you, look around. Look at the fact that you've got a conscience. Where did that come from? That you have some sense of right and wrong in this world. There's something that stops you. Everybody has it that you recognize when you see beauty and you see love and you see joy that you think there's some meaning in life. Where did that come from? Look for where you've seen him before. When you feel that if you feel as if he's not there. Look for where you've seen him before. And in those moments, don't let your feelings, your emotions dictate what you believe. Folks, that's what's gotten us in so much trouble in the first place, is letting our emotions change what we believe about the Scripture. That's the reason our country's in the shape that it's in. That's the reason our world's in the shape it's in, because we feel something and it changes what we believe. And we no longer believe what the Scripture says, because I don't feel like that anymore. I feel differently in those moments. Don't let your negative feelings, don't let your ungodly feelings change what you believe about what the Bible has said. Remember where you've seen him before. Secondly, based upon that, wait for him to show up again. Verse 5, chapter 42, put your hope in God. Wait on God, it says. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 8, the Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. Verse 11, the end of verse 11 says, put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 5 of chapter 43, put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. He repeats it over and over. He talks to himself and he says, self... Wait for him to show up again. He's been there before. He will show up again. When it feels as if God isn't there, remember where you've seen him before. Wait for him to show up again. Understand that we think at least there was some chance that when he wrote this, he was in exile. God seemed to have abandoned his people and sent them off. God's done with them. You can imagine during that time, it's as if God isn't going to show up anymore. And then there went 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there was no new revelation from God. He was silent. 400 years. When will he show up again? And guess what? The New Testament breaks open, and at the right time, Paul says, God sent Jesus. God showed up again, and this time in person. And he did it for Israel and for all of us what we could never do, and that is to fulfill the law and live perfectly in obedience to God and then to die the death that only we deserve that he took for us. You say, I don't think God's ever shown up. He came in person. He left heaven, Paul tells us in Philippians, and he, he, he let go of everything he could claim a right to, and he became one of us, and he lived as God among us, and he gave his life for us. Paul says he showed up again. The psalmist didn't know when he was going to show up. And Paul said at the right time, God showed up in person. Wait for him. 
Expect Him to show up again. You say, I don't want to demand anything from God. It's not what it's about. Expect, wait, hope that He will because He has. And thirdly, pray that He will reveal Himself in you. I want you to look at Psalm 43. The psalmist has a very specific prayer that he, that he prays. Vindicate me, God, and defend my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my refuge, he says. Verse 3. Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, my greatest joy. I will praise you with the lyre, God, my God. God, while I wait, he says, reveal your light. Reveal your truth. Reveal yourself in me. God, I may not be able to see all that you're doing. I may not understand it, but God, in me, reveal yourself. Show me your light and your truth. As I pray for vindication, as I pray for defense, God, change me from the inside out. Let them lead me, he says. Reveal yourself in me. Let me experience your presence. Fill me with joy. Fill me with praise. I wonder this morning, who is it that would be willing, that would be courageous enough individually before God and perhaps even before the folks here to just simply cry out to the Lord and say, God, I'm dry and I'm drowning and I'm depressed. And God, it seems like you're not there and I need you to live in me and I need you to live your life through me. Help me to remember where I've seen you before. Help me to wait for you to show up again. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself in me today. Help me to live as if you are there, as if you have always been and always will be, and as if, God, you truly did show up in person. I wonder this morning who needs to pray those kind of prayers. I'm not going to coerce you, and I'm not going to drag it out. But I simply make a request that if God is speaking to you on those terms, then don't leave without dealing with it. Don't leave just having sung a closing song and heard a sermon and say, okay, good job, we'll go on to lunch. Today may be the opportunity that God has laid before you to do business with Him. To have your life changed by Him. Maybe for the very first time, Maybe you've simply come to the point of complete surrender and you say, Lord, I'm done, I'm dry, and I'm depressed, and I'm drowning. And Lord, I'm going to cry out to you. Let's pray together. Right there at your pew, down here if you need to kneel before the Lord, there's no shame in church. Not among the people of God. Somebody looks at you funny, that's their problem. Do business with God today. What's He said to you? How does He need to change you? From what do you need to repent? How is it that He needs to have a hold of your life more? Give it to Him today. Lay it before Him. Don't leave. Don't leave without having done business with God. 
Lord, change us and help us. Do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Make us different. Amen.